Are you in a season of preparation out of the limelight and things are quiet? Pastor Ed Taylor says rather than resist it, be on the lookout for what God is wanting to do. You know, you might be used in a huge way and then for a long season, God would have you to be quiet. I get to stand before Ahab and then the very next thing you're receiving food from a raven. And this is a tool that God often uses. And that man, because of our pride, we often come against and resist. We resist that, how could God use me at the brook? How could God use me in obscurity? What we tend to call loneliness may simply be a preordained time of preparation and training for what God has for you next. This is amazing grace. with you and welcome again to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're about to pick up where we left off in 1 Kings, which happens to be chapter 17. We're getting to know Elijah, and if you'll recall, God had just used him in a huge way, standing before Ahab, delivering a tough message. But now we find him in a much different setting, beside a brook, receiving food from ravens. On the surface, you might think of this as a worthless time of life, but in actuality, God is using it to prepare him for what's ahead. Here's Ed with more. Chapter 17, and you'll recall we were introduced to a man by the name of Elijah last week, Elijah the Tishbite. And we learned that he was a normal man just like us. And yet being normal did not limit God from using him in supernatural ways, extraordinary ways. Just like for you and me, being normal does not limit God from using you in supernatural ways. And he's one of my favorite men in the Bible. And he'll encourage us in so many different ways. His name, remember, means God is Yahweh, the true God. In the midst of false worship under King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, God is Yahweh. And we pick up in verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, Hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. 
In the midst of idolatry and the leadership of Ahab, God sends a man. In the darkest time, there's always a messenger, and God sends Elijah to stand before this wicked king. He looks him in the eye, and he declares to him that God is bringing a famine and a drought on the land, a drought that would lead to a famine on the land, and the drought wouldn't end except at the word of Elijah. A pretty bold thing to stay. And it was a direct attack or a direct face against the worship of Baal, which remember is the fertility God, the God, the false God, little g, that the people were worshiping and hoping would bring water and fertility to the land. They, they looked to Baal for rain. You could say that he was the rain God, among many other things. But now there's no rain. And notice in verse 2 it says, then the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. Elijah doesn't know it yet. We're, we're reading the life of Elijah in chapters, but Elijah's living his life. Don't ever forget that when you're reading the scriptures, that the people in the Bible are living this in real time, just like you live your life in real time. You don't know how this situation's going to work out. You don't know how long you're going to wait. You don't know how long God is going to, to bring you out or take you through. We're living it in real time, just like they're living in a real time even though we can read ahead. <laughs> don't you wish you could read ahead in your life? I actually don't wish I could read ahead in my life because I think, knowing my personality, and knowing who I am, and knowing some of the things that I've been through, if God told me what was happening, especially bad things in the future, I don't, I don't want to know. I just want to live today, moment by moment. That's what I think Jesus was teaching us. He was teaching us the lesson of abiding and the lesson of abiding isn't to abide for a day. It isn't to abide for a week. It isn't to abide for a year. It's to abide or to live in and to gain and to receive your, the source of strength moment by moment. Moment just today. Just give me strength for today. You can give me hope for tomorrow, but I need strength for today. Now, Elijah doesn't know it yet, but this word will lead him through three different scenes of developing his personal faith and trust. While the focus sometimes can be on Ahab and his false leadership and false worship, God is also working through Elijah. And he's learning how to trust God as God raises him up. And you'll see the different scenes in his life. Strength, weakness, obedience, disobedience. And to me it's encouraging because this is what we experience in our lives. We receive the word of the Lord. He comes to us as we read the Bible, as we listen to Bible study. The Spirit brings a scripture to mind. Somebody texts you a scripture, or you're going through your social media feed, and somebody posted something. A brother or sister shares, because God wants to communicate his heart to us for the moment. And he wants us to obey in the moment. He, he wants our faith and trust to grow in him, and so he doesn't reveal the larger picture. He, he doesn't show us what's going to happen in a week, or a month, or a year. He wants us, uh, that, that verse, the word of the Lord came to him, is intended to build our faith because according to Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Elijah's faith is being built up, but he doesn't know it yet. Now, what was it exactly in Elijah's life after this strong word that God would then tell him to hide? Just go out into the, give that strong word, and then I want you to go off by the brook and stay there, and ravens are going to feed you, and you're going to be able to drink. What, what is it about that, that the Lord would care for him enough to get him out of the limelight, to get him in a place where he is 
just in obscurity. I find that interesting because we would think that God would use a guy like Elijah and keep him in the line, keep him up front, keep him in a place where he is constantly before Ahab and constantly before the people. But right after a strong word, the Lord took him and sent him to obscurity and quietness. Well, when you read through the scriptures, you're going to learn that obscurity and quietness is often the tool that God uses to develop his men and women. He uses this time of being out of well, what we would call the limelight or out of the focus. You know, you might be used in a huge way and then for a long season, God would have you to be quiet. And God would have you to, you, you get to serve in such, I get to stand before Ahab and then the very next thing you're receiving food from a raven. And this is a tool that God often uses. And that man, because of our pride, we often come against and resist. We resist that, how could God use me at the brook? How could God use me in obscurity? What we tend to label loneliness, that's, that's, the, that's the big word, the big buzzword that the world uses, loneliness. What we tend to call loneliness may simply be a preordained time of preparation and training for what God has for you next. That time of sensing, man, there's not a lot going on. It's not as much as I've experienced in the past. I was standing before Ahab and now I'm laying before ravens waiting for God to give me my food. We find it in the life of Jacob when God would have him times of Jacob on the run. We find this happening in the life of Moses where he spent those years in the wilderness. We find it in the life of Paul the apostle when he was sent away for years in Arabia and Damascus. And now we learn about it here in Elijah's life at the brook Cherith. And the source of his food, notice, would be ravens. It, it just reminds me that we need to be careful not to limit God. Because you Bible students know, according to Leviticus chapter 11, ravens were unclean animals. And they are. They're kind of scavenger birds. They, they are unclean animals. And ravens are, are the kind of bird, according to Job chapter 38 verse 41, that don't even feed their young and so here's two pieces where you could hear Elijah say, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. You cannot work in my life like that. Because number one, don't you know they're unclean? And, and then later we learn a lesson from God, right? What I have called clean, don't you call unclean. We learned that with Peter in the vision. And that was a bigger, that was all about food and unclean animals. But God was teaching Peter a lesson about people and about the gospel going out to all sorts of people. But you, it would have been a great time for Elijah to give some resistance here. And he could have even had biblical reasoning behind it. And said, I don't think that's from you. God. I don't believe that's from you. We just don't know what's happening behind the scenes of what God is really wanting to do. And God is preparing Elijah. He's preparing him for what's up ahead. What's up ahead? Well, notice verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, 
And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And then she said in verse 12, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Here's the preparation. Go out for a season by the brook. Learn to depend upon me, Elijah. Depend upon me from ravens. And as long as the water lasts in the brook... And then again, verse 8, the word of the Lord came. And it's from now the dried up brook that Elijah receives another word to go to Zarephath to meet a Gentile widow. What's the big deal about being called to Zarephath? Well, Zarephath, the city, is hometown. This was Jezebel's hometown. Jezebel, we'll learn, hates Elijah's guts. And we'll learn as you guys read ahead that Jezebel is going to vow to kill him. Not, not there yet, but God is dealing with Elijah's heart and sends him to this Gentile city to meet a Gentile widow to the city that was the very heart of Baal worship. And God is calling him into enemy territory where there's an oppressed, hurting woman that needs care. Now, as we were hearing the update, what was going on in Europe and specifically Ireland, when you have 98.5% of the population that either is anti-God or atheistic or resistant to the gospel, you could say that Ireland is very much like Zarephath. You could say that for just about every city around the world today. You could say that of where you work and where you live. You, you and I could say that the, the world is filled with, with difficult places. Listen, the world is filled with difficult places populated by hurting people. Which one will you look at? Which one will you pay attention to? Because if you pay attention to the difficult place, you may resist going there. Even if the word of the Lord came to you and said, arise and go to your first response might be, oh, that's a hard place. That's a difficult place. I don't want anything to do with that place. It's, it's crime-ridden. And it's, you know, all, all, of the, all of the things that would speak to our own personal comfort. And the word of the Lord says, I want you to get up from this dried brook. I want you to get up from this place where there's no more water. And I want you to go to a place that is difficult and that is hard, where all they do is worship the false god of Baal. I want you to go to enemy territory. Why? Because there's a hurting person there. There's a hurting person. Widows in that day were poor to the point of extremely poor. She's out collecting sticks. She had nothing. She would have been one of the first ones in the community to run out of food and to run out of everything that would sustain her and her child to life. And yet God saw her and sent Elijah to her. And he comes and he asks for a little bit of water and a little bit of bread. And how encouraging this widow is to us as we step back and think for a moment. I mean, 
She's living under the most difficult conditions as a widow with no family and no help. The drought is affecting her tremendously. And yet when she asks for water, when she asks for water, she brings it. And notice in verse 13, Elijah says, Don't fear. Go and do as I said. Make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your, and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. It's such a great conversation between Elijah and this widow. In her time of deep distress, in her time of deep difficulty, in the midst of her trial, she gave what she could to someone else. She gave what she could. What some might look at and say, not enough, she gave out of, well, that's the key in life, isn't it? The key in life is to give and to be generous. I believe that followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, you and me, fellow believer, fellow Christian, should be the most generous people on the planet Earth in every sense of that word. Not just financially, although that is a measurement, but generosity, not, not just in outward action, but in the heart of the matter. Because you can think, if, if you are not a generous person, it's a heart issue. And it could be the very root of generosity and the lack thereof is not recognizing, not recognizing the generosity of God who gave his very best for you and for me. God has put us in connection with others so that we have the opportunity to get our eyes off of ourselves and to serve them. Isn't that what Paul told us uh, when he wrote to the church in Philippi? He said, let nothing be done. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1, let me read it to you from the New Living. It says, we may know that these things make no difference, but we can't just go ahead and do them to please ourselves. We must be considerate, in this case the, of the doubts and the fears of those who think these things are wrong. We should please others. If we do what helps them, we will build them up in the Lord. He was talking about you know, meat that was sacrificed to idols, and I like the New Living because it says, look, we shouldn't do things to please ourselves. God has given us freedom to express love, not for selfish ambition, not for selfish gain. The freedoms that we have, if, if you're going to be one of those believers that magnifies your freedom in Christ, which I think is a great thing to do, magnify it for the purpose of serving others and thinking of others. That's where freedom really gets its best expression when you begin to think of others more highly than yourself. And so there, this must have been a tender yet stern conversation. I could see her, uh, I could see in my mind, in my holy imagination, her face is worn and it's tired and she's scared and she's unsure of what will happen and she gets out and begins to find some sticks, uh, picking up what she can. I, I don't know how it sounded. 
I'm not entirely sure the Bible doesn't give us the tone of voice, but here Elijah's asking for food and the widow's thinking of death. Don't miss that. That's what's on her mind. What's on her mind is she's about to die. There's no hope of it getting better. No hope of it improving. It's a desperate time. And in the realm of generosity, Jesus would point out to us, he would teach us. And I can picture this in my mind, Jesus there at the temple watching people give, the Bible says. He was watching them give at the temple. And there was a religious guy, a a religious leader, who was making sure that everybody knew how much he gave. And he was blowing the trumpet and getting everyone's attention because in the temple they had boxes around the temple that were shaped like horns. And that would be the offering box. It's a similar pattern that we use here at Calvary where we don't take a formal offering where the ushers are coming out and we're passing bags. And neither are we against that. But we have boxes around the sanctuary. And and that heart of worship, when you come to church, when you come to the gathering, it's already on your mind. I'm coming to give, not receive. And so the offerings are put in the boxes or even now you can give online and set it up there. Well, Jesus was there watching people give. And he saw the religious leader getting everyone's attention to show how much he was giving. Oh, look how much he was giving. Look, what a great giver he was. And then the widow came. He watched the widow too. And she dropped in what would be the equivalent of a third of a penny or a couple pennies. You you could put it this way. You know, the religious leader is dropping a thousand bucks. And here's the widow giving a couple pennies. And because we judge outwardly, it would be very easy to say, well, look at him, what great giver he is. Look at how much he gives and how much he loves God and how much he loves the temple. Wasn't true. Wasn't true at all. We might look at the widow and say, what's two pennies? What's a penny? What's a third of a penny? You know, why don't you save up until at least you get a quarter or a dollar and then you give it to the Lord? But that's not how Jesus saw it. He says, you guys watch as I'm watching. This gal, she gave it all. The religious ruler he gave out of his abundance. Anybody can give out of their abundance. Everybody can give out of their abundance. But Jesus was teaching us, can you give it all? Can you give it all? That's what's happening with this widow here. That's Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And we've been looking at a very generous giver in this dear widow of Elijah's day. To hear this message again, go to calvaryaurora.org. Ed, as we close, I was wondering if you'd touch on how Abounding Grace is sustained through the generosity of our listeners. Larry, I always like the opportunity to express our appreciation and just say thank you to those that support Abounding Grace Radio financially. You know, there are a lot of back-end costs involved in producing and preparing and radio time and all of those things behind the scenes. And I just want to say thank you guys for the generous, sustaining uh, financial uh, donations and prayer support that you give us uh, as we get these reports week after week, month after month, uh, many men and women, even boys and girls being encouraged by abounding grace. And, and so thank you. And we would appreciate uh, anything that you, the Lord would lead you to give in support of Abounding Grace, whether it's a one-time gift or a regular a reoccurring gift, 
anything and everything is used for the glory of God and gets poured right back into outreach and discipleship through the ministry of Abounding Grace Radio. So thanks, guys, uh, for your generous support, and we look forward to hearing more and more of what God wants to do through Abounding Grace in the coming years. This month, we've picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy. It would even make a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the biggest story in history. Is there credible evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Lee asks and answers the sort of questions a skeptic would pose. What will be your verdict in the case for Christ? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but it is important that we hear from you as this year draws to a close. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, that's okay. You can still voice your support by just letting us know you listen, and that would be huge. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Glad you've taken time out for our study in First Kings. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 